what sort of percentage of your life do you think your work takes up? The thing is, the problem is, I, when, I'm, when I'm with something and I'm hungry for it, I go to bed with it. All right? I wake up and I'm thinking about it. I look at people, I'm sizing their legs. So it was 24-7 all the time trying to improve. And that's just the way it is. Hello, welcome to Careers Talk. I'm Kerry Eustis. Now, do you live to work or work to live? You may not be quite as enthusiastic as that guy at the top of the show, but in this week's podcast, we explore the importance of salary versus job satisfaction with Escape the City coach and career expert, Phil Bolton. Plus, Dear Julian has some advice for anyone on the cusp of a big career decision. But first, as always, we've got a roundup of the news. Harriet Minter and Ali White join me now with their picks of this week's careers headlines and some blogs. Hello. 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 Team's back together. (laughs) Very nice. Yes. Um, I'm going to start actually this week with a piece about does it make a difference what you study and where to finding a job once you graduate. So we're looking at the Higher Education Statistics Agency data, which looks at graduate destinations once they've graduated. Um, And the top line statistics are quite good news. They're showing that 2009 slash 2010 graduates are more likely to be employment or further study than their predecessors from 2008 and 2009. So more people are employed. And those who studied medicine, dentistry and veterinary science had got the highest rate of employment. And the universities that are doing the best, there's uh, Buckingham, which is a private university, has got a 100% employment record. Wow, that's amazing. However, this is based on just 55 graduates, but it's still <laughs> pretty good. It's still pretty good. Um, among the larger institutions, Robert Gordon University in Scotland fared best with a 95.7 employment rate. And then Surrey has got the best record of any English institution at 94.8%. And those who ranked lowest, it was computer science graduates with 84.7 of those surveyed being employed or embarking on further study compared to 99.6 with the medicine and dentistry and veterinary science. However, um, the few things that we should note is that this includes both part-time and full-time employment Mm -hmm. and it doesn't always count if you're working in an associated profession. So all those people that studied medicine might not be working in medicine. In fact, the the courses that did the best were um, mass communications and documentation. They were most likely to be employed in associate professional and technical occupations. So um, anybody who's kind of looking at their courses and picking their courses for the years ahead, they might want to sort of consult the HESA statistics to see what courses and institutions are doing best. But it should be noted a lot of universities are investing a lot of time and effort into boosting their employment statistics. So these are definitely something we should be keeping an eye on. Well, sort of on a related subject, I picked a blog from uh, our job goddess Claire Whitmell's site it says um, you know as much as people love to tell you how useless your arts degree is from horror of horrors and ex-poly whisper the shame this is just not the case Um, she says like some supposedly vocational degrees like media and business um, are anything but vocational judging by how unpopular they seem to be with the very same employers for whom they're intended but it's just not the case that you're doomed unless you get a you know a really great science degree or medical medicine degree from a Russell Group University which I think is you know words of comfort for people who because you know I know a lot of grads think they've even got a 2-1 from a Russell Group University then you've just not got a hope at the moment but she's picked a comment out from it followed the G2 supplement um, which was published online last week with um, there were lots of helpful articles on job seeking 
And she's picked out an illuminating comment from one arts grad who sort of joined in the discussion there. And she said, with only one brief stint of unemployment in five years, she puts her success down to not the type of degree she has, but everything else that she's done to make herself employable. A few examples like knowing her strength, focusing her CV and then keeping it updated, being proactive and ringing or speaking to people for advice and openings and staying in touch with people. So um, Claire sort of picked up on this and said that everything that she's done that's productive, the thing that struck me most was the ability to pin down her strengths and where they can be best deployed. And she said, do this and you're less likely to apply for the jobs that aren't a match for you, saving yourself a whole load of frustration and time in the process. So I think that's something that's reflected in those HESA statistics that I just discussed as well. If you sort of look at the, the institutions that are achieving sort of 90% plus on their employment rate you know regardless of what sort of job you're in mm-hmm. it's not all Russell Group institutions yeah. it is some of the um, post 94 um, universities as well so mm-hmm. all is not lost and yeah. I can add to that that just recently I've been interviewing lots and lots of graduates and I don't think I even look at which university they go to until maybe they're in an interview and I think I should ask them about it, it it's probably the last mm. thing, your kind of academic achievements are one of the last things I'm going to look at on your CV. And if you've got a brilliant CV filled with really interesting work experience, whether that's paid, unpaid, stuff you've done off your own bat, that's far more interesting. Okay. H, what's your story? Oh, um, so I am moving away from um, universities and going on to what it's like to be the CEO and how you become one. Ooh. And it's from an article that was in the Guardian Money section this week and it's by Adam Bryant, who is the Deputy National Editor at the New York Times and also author of The Corner Office, which is all about how CEOs got their job and how you can get it too. And he's kind of picked out five key skills that he thinks all CEOs have, but they're skills that anyone can develop. The first one, he says, curiosity, and I would absolutely back this up. But all the people I know who are really, really successful don't necessarily work 24-7, but are constantly doing stuff 24-7. They're reading papers, they're online looking at new blogs, they're out talking to people. They're really interested in what else is going on out in the world because you just never know where inspiration is going to strike from. The other one that comes in at two is confidence. And I know we say this lots, you know, you have to be confident, you have to put across your personality, but you also have to have confidence in your beliefs and in pushing through something that might not be popular, but you really think is going to work. Certainly when you're a graduate, there are ways and means of doing that. If you go up to the person who's employed, you say, I think we should be doing this and you're wrong not to be doing it. That's not going to go down well, but you should have the confidence in yourself if you've got an idea to be able to push it through and make people come around to your way of thinking which neatly leads into point three, which is team smarts. And um, Adam Bryant actually points out how much we now think being a team player basically means I work in a team. And actually, that's not true at all. Being a team player means you work in a team and the rest of the team really like having you work with them and you really bring something to it and you help the team gel. And it's people like that who have the kind of backing and support of their colleagues who will then kind of rise up further up the career ladder. Um, And finally, he's got simple mindset and fearlessness, which I think kind of both feed into each other. So one of the things he says, it's not actually about having the best presentation that goes on for hours or being able to make the most advanced calculations. It's about being able to get to your point quickly and concisely. And when you're dealing with somebody who's going to be your boss, who's probably very short of time, they're really going to appreciate somebody who can get straight to the heart of the matter. And in that comes fearlessness, which is, again, back to this idea of saying, do you know what, it looks a bit scary, but I believe I can carry it off and I can do it, and just going for it. 
And I think those really are kind of, they really struck me as stuff that we should all be trying to incorporate into our working lives a little bit anyway, maybe into our general lives as well. Thanks very much. Now, is it worth taking a risk in order to move up the career ladder? Dear Julian has some advice for someone who wants to progress in a company with an uncertain future. So a very interesting problem today faced by someone who has left a very small business to go and work for a larger company. And the larger company, it was a more senior job with better money. But just four months after starting this job, their original company have come back to her and asked if she'd be interested in applying for... um, a better job back at the original company. Her dilemma, however, is whether or not to return because the future of that original company doesn't look so certain or she's feeling unconfident about it. I think, to be honest with you, the answer, you've answered the question yourself, the enthusiasm and passion that you talk about when you are describing the original company that you work for is it's so clear that that's where you want to be and that's what you want to do there are risks involved in every job move because quite often you can go to a company and actually you don't really get on with the job. It seems very nice on paper, but the reality isn't that great. It might be that you, um, uh, you take a new job and then you have a change in circumstances. Your partner may need to move. You know, People uh, jump around in their careers a lot and I wouldn't be too worried about what it's going to say on your CV because if anyone ever asked about it, you just tell the truth. Many years ago, I was approached to go and work on Heat magazine. Now, at this time, Heat was right at the very start of its life. It was only a few months old and it was doing very, very badly. Everybody said that it was going to fold and that by moving there, I was being an idiot because I'd be putting myself out of a job. So I was in a job that was okay. I quite liked it. It was very secure. I could still be there now, quite frankly, you know. Um, However, I decided the best thing to do was to take a risk and jump for something I really wanted because I had a vision for it being good and I had a sense that it could be a very powerful move for me to make in my CV. Going to something that was a little bit shaky and then if I could make it good, how great would that make me look? Thank God it paid off because I think actually even within a few weeks of starting the job, the circulation began to rise very rapidly. And then, you know, Heat Now is obviously one of the most famous magazines that there is. So that was a risk that was worth taking. But I had those same anxieties that you did. Same sleepless nights thinking, am I committing career suicide by jumping onto something that is so obviously uh, in trouble? There is nothing better than doing a job that you love, working for a company that you love. And even if it were to go belly up, you will have been in a senior position for longer. The company will hopefully, if they're a responsible employer, help to find you employment elsewhere. But even if they're not, you have just got to trust your instinct on this. And it seems to me that your instinct is telling you to go for it. Can you imagine what it's going to feel like in a year's time if you haven't left and you're still there doing the same thing? And the company that you were going to move to actually is still in existence. Someone else is sat in that job and having a great time. You just have to take the risk.
That was Julian Lindley, Creative Director at Bauer. Okay, so I was doing some research for today's programme and I stumbled upon a piece from The Observer written three years ago. It said that young job seekers in 2008 were no longer motivated by salary and success, but were looking for flexible working, time to travel and a good work-life balance. Well, how times change. Post-recession, with fee rises and tight finances, working to live and live as comfortably as possible seems to have landed back with a thump onto the graduate agenda. But by prioritising pay, are graduates overlooking other important factors when choosing a job? To debate salary versus job satisfaction and explore the implications of merely working to live, I'm joined now by Phil Bolton, a career coach at Escape the City, a community that supports corporate professionals who want to do something different with their working life. Hello, Phil. Hi. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. So... I mean, do you agree that working to live seems to be creeping back onto the agenda? I think it's certainly a phenomenon that's come back over the last couple of years as we've seen tough economic times in the marketplace. Um, Graduates in 2008, when that piece was written, just before everything melted down, really were looking for a lot of different things from the workplace. They were looking for some fulfillment, satisfaction, enjoyment, they're looking for the ability to take control of jobs early on rather than having to do years of, of grunt work before actually getting something interesting to do. And it's amazing how quickly the world changes when the economy tightens up. You know, two, three years later, 30 or 40% of all graduates were struggling to find work uh, at all, anywhere. And it was a tough marketplace. So I think that definitely forces people to look at their values and think about what's most important to them. Yeah, I think I'm going to put a link to this piece in the show. It's just for a bit of nostalgia, maybe. It's Mm. quite an interesting read. But the piece was also saying that people sort of looked at their parents' working lives where they'd perhaps, you know, been working really long hours and they were always kind of chasing a paycheck for a bit as big a paycheck as possible. Do you think this is going to be kind of a cyclical thing? And we've got this trend now where people are going to be chasing a high salary, but then that's going to drop off again. I mean, I think it was a phenomenon that took place primarily with the graduates. You know, it's interesting, at Escape the City, we tend to work mostly with job changers who are going into their first or second job, so in their mid-20s through their, their kind of mid-30s. And we're seeing a very different phenomenon that we're actually getting people who've been through the graduate programs and spent three, five, ten years working in the big corporates who are now looking at different things from work beyond just the paycheck, they're looking for you know, creating, doing something really interesting and worthwhile. They're looking for enjoyment. They're looking to make a difference in the world. And you know, Dom and Rob started Escape the City about 18 months ago, and they already have 36,000 subscribers. So it's obviously a popular idea you know, among this, the sort of next generation ahead from the one that, that's just going into the workplace now. Mm, so do you think there's a problem with sort of either or, living to work or working to live? Is there an ideal? I mean, what, what, do, what about you? Which do you... My take on it from, from my own experience and working with hundreds of clients is that there's no perfect answer to this. And actually, what you've got to look at is your overall quality of life. I've seen a kind of movement of more and more you know, young people and people in midlife saying, actually, work can be a contributor to quality of life and enjoyment and satisfaction, whereas maybe our parents' generation saw it purely as a paycheck in order to support themselves, pay the rent, put their kids through education, whatever it is they wanted to do. Now you see people are saying, actually, work can add to my enjoyment and quality of life as well. 
and we can find work that makes a difference in the world. Are you concerned at all? There's been some research that's come out this week that as place salary is the most important factor. It's sort of, you know, 90, more than 90% of grads are set up placing that as their priority now. Um, I mean, do you see in the future there's going to be, you know, a big wave of grads coming through Escape the City because their corporate job isn't fulfilling them? Do they need to think about other things as well? I think they do. Um, you know, if you find yourself in a job that every Monday morning you're thinking, why? how do I get out of bed and drag myself to the office? And there's that kind of weight and, and unhappiness that's attached to work. You know, most people spend half of their waking lives at work. Um, and if you're not getting that right and it's making people unhappy and not giving them the satisfaction they're looking for, it becomes harder and harder to justify the paycheck. So I think, you know, Within the corporate world, there are some really interesting opportunities. There's lots of skills that you can develop, fascinating experiences. You know, I, I was privileged to be able to travel the world when I worked at Deloitte and work in different cities and in America and in, also in India. And so there are great opportunities out there, but I think you have to be pretty proactive about thinking, why am I in this job? What am I getting from it? What's the enjoyment? You know, what's the satisfaction and, and the sort of longer term direction that it's taking me? And if you can get that right, the corporate world is not the worst place to be. But you have to be more conscious and actually realise that jobs are a choice. So what can you do to make sure you find a job like that, that is that fulfilling? I mean, you know, what sort of things should you be looking for? And When most people graduate, and I, I was a history graduate, so that pretty much made, made me feel quite useless in the, the real world. I didn't know what to do. And so I went into accounting to try and get a, a more real-life practical experience and knowledge base that I could use to to make a good living from um, but I just didn't really know what the opportunities were out there and frankly you know what I see with, with my clients and more generally is it's it's an experience thing it's going out into the world it's trying different things it's talking to people and seeing what their job's like it's being curious and interested in the world of work and the more data you can accumulate and the more interesting conversations you can have and the more things you can try the more likely you are to actually stumble on the thing that really lights your fire and fascinates you. Um, and at, at the same time, you know, we often help our clients with some introspection, with some self-reflection to figure out what are, your, what are their values, what's most important to them, what do they want to get from work, what are they passionate about, what do they enjoy doing, you know, what are the things that light their fire and get them motivated, what are their strengths and skills. We're, we're all born with different attributes, we all like to do different things. And so... If you can combine that reflection and that self-knowledge with some real-life experience and trying things, when those two things come together, that's often when you find, hmm, this is work that I find enjoyable, that feels meaningful, and it's it's taking me where I want to go and giving me the life I want. But it, it can take a little time to get there. Have you got a technique that you could sort of share with us now, just a quick one that perhaps we could try and some of our listeners could try sort of identifying one of their values or their values when it comes to work? I mean... For, for values, the, the exercise that I often use with my clients is a very simple one, which is to sit down with a blank piece of paper and ask the question, what's most important to me? You know, what are the rules that I live my life by? What are the principles that, I, that are fundamental to who I am? Um, what are the, who are the people or the things in life that I absolutely need to have in order to you know, feel happy and fulfilled and sustained? What are the things that I look for in a workplace um, in the kind of environment and culture that I work in that, that bring me ha- happiness and fulfillment? And what, what difference do I want to make in the world? If you could answer those questions, 
you'll start to put together a, a pretty coherent list of the, the criteria you're looking for for, for work. And that's going to you know, give you a nice starting point to assess the opportunities that are out there. So, I mean, you talked a little bit about Escape the City. I mean, to the pr- professionals that you've worked with, when they were working in the corporate world, did they think that was their passion in the first place? Or, um, or were they sort of chasing a, a salary or a kind of lifestyle? I'd say mostly not. There's a, a lot of uh, a lot of people I've worked with who describe this c- concept of the conveyor belt that they've gone through school, done reasonably well, and passed their exams, gone to university, done their studies, kind of fallen into a job because it was you know there's some big employers out there who take on lots of graduates and give them good opportunities, and you know they, they come to me when they're 25, 26, and say I feel like I've never really actually taken a choice in my life you know particularly professionally I've just sort of fallen into this and they can see that there's lots of good things that have come from that but you know it's interesting you know 90% of graduates said that money is the most important factor in jobs I've worked with hundreds of people and only three of them have ever put money as their top value um, and maybe that comes from being a little bit you know at the first change or the second change and having a look at the world and realizing there's more important things than, than just a paycheck can you share some anecdotes with us from your Escape the City clients, you know, people who have moved on to the living to work or working to live? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess the, the first client that comes to mind, um, he was a really ambitious, driven management consultant, and he went straight into that from university. And he absolutely loved the problem-solving. He loved the novelty of the work, going to new clients. He got to, to travel all around the world. Um, and you know, really engaged with interesting high-level people. And he was getting lots of value from that. He was also very well paid. But he woke up one day and realized that he was never at home. He never saw his friends. He never saw his family. He was constantly on the go. And he just came home at the weekend to do his laundry and then get back on a, a plane somewhere else. And that kind of kicked him into a bit of an existential crisis. You know, in his mid-20s, he was saying, where am I going? Is the money really worth it? You know, we sat down and really thought through his experience. And subsequent to uh, having this, this moment of realization, he actually went off to Nicaragua and spent six months working in a school there volunteering just to give himself time to, to clear his head. And in doing that, he realized actually he loved problem solving. He loved engaging with people and doing important work. But he had a real passion for education, and that was the most important thing for him. And as we worked through the process and thought about the possibilities, we actually identified uh, Teach First as being an organization that you know, was really ambitious, was driven, had great opportunities, was growing fast, and had that educational theme. And he ended up uh, landing a position there, setting up their Spanish office, so he gets to travel to Latin America and help set up the programs over there, and he's engaged in hiring people. So. He's taken the same kind of skills and passion and fulfillment that he has as a consultant, but added in this extra element of satisfaction and, for, and doing something worthwhile. Um, and he, he's immensely happy, and he actually has a little bit more balance. He's still, I don't think he'll ever have that you know, I, ideal perfect balance, but he spends more time at home as well, which is important. Thanks very much, Phil. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks again to Phil Bolton. 
Next up, we've got the Jobs Top 10, and rolling with the Live to Work theme, we've cherry-picked a collection of dream-worthy jobs. Harriet and Ali are going to count down the chart. Kicking us off at 10, ITN Productions is looking for a broadcast journalist. At 9, it's an artist relations coordinator from Amnesty International. And at 8, Dyson is looking for a communications executive. It's a senior teacher and teaching centre coordinator from the British Council Hong Kong at 7. In at 6, it's a team leader within the globalisation team at the Institute of Development Studies. While at 5, Media Trust is looking for a community news manager. The Brighton Early Music Festival wants a freelance festival producer at four. Coming in at three, Virgin Money is searching for a copywriter. It's got to be a sponsorship sales manager from Guardian News and Media at two. And topping the chart this week is a drama commissioning editor for Channel 4. And finally, here's what we've got coming up on careers.guardian.co.uk next week. Tuesday, August 2nd is Exploring Roles in Travel. Thursday, August 4th is Employment and Workplace Rights. And Friday, August 5th is Careers in the Music Industry. That brings us to the end of the pod. Thanks to our guests Phil Bolton, to Julian Lindley and Harriet Minter and Ali White. Careers Talk was produced by James Crawford. I'm Kerry Eustace. Goodbye. Goodbye.